As the FIFA Women's World Cup approaches its climax with the final between Spain and England this evening, it's clear the 2023 tournament has been another quantum leap for women's football. From the number of nations competing to crowd numbers, the prize money and sponsorship, and of course astounding viewing numbers, especially in Australia as an extraordinary wave of affection and admiration for the Matildas has captivated the nation. And the stats back up the fact that the Women's World Cup is a remarkable phenomenon. Brendan McKenna is a Vice President and International Economist for Wells Fargo's Corporate and Investment Bank. Just before the 2023 Women's World Cup kicked off, they put out a report covering the history of women's international football and the economics and global global growth of the tournament. I spoke with Brendan earlier. Great. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Before the tournament, FIFA estimated an audience of about 2 billion viewers for this Women's World Cup, which would make it the most watched women's sporting event of all time. And we've seen successive games, certainly in Australia, breaking incredible viewing records in this country. With the final still to come, has that FIFA prediction of around 2 billion viewers been achieved, do you think? I think that two billion estimate has been not only achieved, but I think surpassed. Um, to your point, Julian, you know some of the viewership for some of the individual games, especially in Australia, um, in the United States, and some other regions across South America and Europe, the viewership has really been pretty astounding. Just to put some numbers to it, the last game that uh, the Matildas played it looks like over eleven, maybe twelve million people actually viewed that game, which uh, would mark about forty percent of the Australian population, which is really. Um, again, quite astounding. But again, I think we're seeing viewership across all regions. So it just kind of speaks to how global the game has become and how global the women's sport has become. And again, I think when you're thinking about the $2 billion, um, estimate that FIFA put out early on, I think that actually looks a little bit light, kind of given the, some, some of the viewership statistics that we've seen kind of rolling in over the past couple of weeks or so. So I think by far, the 2023 Women's World Cup will be the most watched women's sporting event of all time. And again, I think it just speaks to the growth of, uh, of women's international football. Mm. And the really interesting thing about that is that this 2023 Women's World Cup is the first time that the broadcast rights for the women's tournament weren't a package deal with the men's World Cup. How did that decision come about and what have the ramifications of it been given those extraordinary viewing numbers? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that, you know, the women's and the men's uh, media rights have been unpackaged heading into this year's tournament and also for last year's men's tournament. Um, and I think there has been some really interesting ramifications of that. I think for the first time, we're actually seeing, you know, how valuable the men's commercial rights are and then also how valuable the women's commercial rights are. Um, and then just kind of digging a layer deeper, you're also seeing the pay gap that's kind of existing between the men's football teams and then also the women's football teams. Um, so to put some numbers to that, it looks like for the Men's World Cup that was hosted last year, FIFA received media rights that were close to $3 billion. And if you're putting some numbers to the women's broadcast rights, it looks like the women's uh, tournament generated about $300 million. So there's this huge pay gap. But I guess, I guess the one thing I would say is that that $300 million number for the women's tournament is head and shoulders above what uh, the 2019 tournament actually brought in for broadcast rights. So uh, we're making progress in the right direction but at least unbundling some of the, uh, the media and kind of the broadcast rates, you actually get to see the pay gap that does exist. Uh, $300 million might be a drop in the bucket when you get, you know, two, two and a half million eyeballs watching the tournament. So, you know, some of these broadcasters that actually uh, did pick up the media rights, uh, I'm sure they're starting to smile based on some of the value that they've actually uncovered uh, with the Women's World Cup. Your report also does drill down further from the broadcast rights, the income side of things, to the pay that different 
players in different leagues and of different genders receive. What did you discover there, Brendan? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same message. Um, but kind of drilling down into individual leagues and individual teams, it's very apparent that um, this pay gap is still very notable. Again, to put some numbers to it, the prize money for the men's World Cup winning team, which was Argentina in 2022, um, the Argentine men's team took home about $42 million in, in total prize money just for winning the tournament. For this year, the women's World Cup uh, champion will take home about $10.5 million. So you got about a 30 and change million dollar pay gap just for winning the tournament. Um, and if you kind of broaden that out a little bit, you're going to start to ask the question of, well, why is that the case? Um, and I think it really comes back to women's athletes just not having the same opportunities as men, meaning there's not as many leagues being formed for women athletes. There's not as many games being played in the leagues that do exist. There's also, you know, revenue generation that is certainly not you know, not on par with what men's teams are generating. And that certainly constrains some of the pay as well. And then there's maybe just some cases of conscious or unconscious gender bias. Um, so that's just some of the dynamics that exist between the men and the women. But even if you were to broaden that out from uh, not just athletics, but across all industries, there's still a pretty wide global gender wage gap that exists between women and men in the United States, in Europe, uh, in certain parts of Asia. So it's not just a athletics problem. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Brendan McKenna, Vice President and International Economist for Wells Fargo's Corporate and Investment Bank. And I've got to say, Brendan, I don't make a regular habit of reading Wells Fargo uh, reports, I must say, but there was much more... There was much more sport and social history in your report than I expected because you really did a deep dive into the history of the women's game. Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and arguably, this was one of the uh, the most interesting parts of this report, kind of digging into the history of the Women's World Cup yeah. and then maybe international women's football more broadly. But yeah, it, it's actually uh, really interesting in that the Women's World Cup is, is still relatively new. Um, the 2023 tournament marks only the ninth tournament that the women's teams are playing in. Um, and if you're comparing that to the men, uh, the men first hosted their first World Cup in, in 1930. And there's actually been some really interesting history around, you know, evidence that it would at least suggest that women were playing in international football matches in the late 1800s. They gathered a lot of momentum in the 1960s and 1970s. There were some in, uh, independent European female football associations that were created. And this was, again, all to get this momentum behind women playing international soccer competitions. And um, eventually it kind of rose to prominence with some very large sponsorship deals um, across the United States, across Europe, and that eventually you know, through the women's international football onto a more global stage. Um, and then from there, we eventually got some very influential speakers to go actually speak to FIFA organizations. And uh, after proving that there was a, a, an audience and some media rights that could be worthwhile, FIFA eventually uh, decided to host a Women's World Cup in China, first as kind of just a, uh, a trial period. And then again, once that momentum was uh, demonstrated a little bit more clearly, um, the Women's World Cup was officially hosted by FIFA. Certainly a very interesting history behind uh, the Women's World Cup event. And I think that we've got a former Norwegian handball player, Ellen Willey, to thank for that in some respects. Is that right, Brendan? Absolutely. Ellen Willey is, uh, is certainly one of the trailblazers for women's football. She was actually the, uh, the one that was invited to speak to the 1986 FIFA Congress. Uh, she was the first woman to ever be formally invited to attend and then eventually speak to uh, football's global governing body. So, uh, certainly, Ellen really is uh, is one of the trailblazers, and there's certainly a lot of thanks that uh, you know should be dedicated to her based on her efforts for international women's football. 
Well, given that it's a Wells Fargo report, of course, you focused on the economics. And there's a real question over the economic value of hosting rights for all sorts of different tournaments these days. Melbourne recently withdrew from hosting the Commonwealth Games because it didn't stack up financially. There was only one bidder for the 2032 Olympics. Again, the costs involved more and more prohibitive for host cities. Is the World Cup a better economic bet for a host nation? You know, it, it's really interesting, and there's a lot of mixed data. Is hosting the World Cup financially beneficial? And I think it, it really depends on where you know the World Cup or the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games are actually being hosted. Um, I think if you're in a more, call it, developed economy like the United States, like Australia, there may be some financial benefits to that in the sense that a lot of the infrastructure may already be in place and a lot of the expenses and the costs that go with just kind of preparing for the Games may not be uh, the same as if you were hosting in a more uh, emerging or somewhat developing. You know, where the economy is as far as um, on its advanced or emerging state really has a lot to do with it. Um, but nevertheless, you know, if you look at Qatar in the 2022 Men's World Cup, you can certainly make the argument that it wasn't financially beneficial, but as far as reputationally, there may be some benefit in that sense. Um, so we've actually seen a lot of foreign direct investment go into Qatar as a result of just hosting the tournament. Geopolitically, Qatar has actually improved its place on the global pedestal. They've actually filled the void, uh, providing natural gas and other types of energy that Russia is not able to provide based on the sanctions regime and all of that. So um, it's really mixed as far as financial benefits, reputational benefits. But if you're purely talking about the finances, um, again, there's some mixed data to support that. But you know, in aggregate or even on average, the World Cup or maybe some of these other large sporting events may not actually have financial benefits uh, for some of these host nations. Mm, interesting. Well, it's been great speaking with you, Brendan. And of course, I've been pumping up the quality of Wells Fargo's history and analysis in your report. But I've got to just mention as well, you did try to use your economic modelling to predict the winner of the <laughs> Women's World Cup. And you predicted uh, America, which didn't turn out so well. What went wrong, Brendan? You know, I, <laughs> it's, it's funny. So we, you know, obviously we use our econometrics and kind of our financial market analysis tools uh, to actually predict economies and, and financial market events. And we basically just use that toolkit to, uh, to predict the winner of the World Cup and obviously the teams that are coming out of the group stages. And, you know, for a lot of the inputs that, that we used into our model, the USA scored very well. And a lot of the predictors of football success, you know, again, the U.S. scored very well on. Uh, but I think that's actually what makes the World Cup fun. You know, you can run all the models that you want, you can crunch all the numbers, but at the end of the day, some of these teams and the players eventually have to go out there and perform. Um, and the World Cup is a very high-pressure event, and for whatever reason, maybe some players don't perform as well. So, you know, I can kind of chalk. I hope that I can chalk it up to that, and not necessarily the predictive power of the model. But you know, I, <laughs> if there's any solace, um, I can say that we had Australia coming out of the group stage and then having some success. Uh, over the course of the tournament. And, you know, they certainly achieved that um, a little bit more than we had expected. So, you know, mixed success on the model, but, you know, <laughs> at least for Australia, we had some, some predictive power. Well, Brendan, I don't know whether you've got the benefit of econometric models behind you in answering this final question, but tonight, England v Spain, does the Wells Fargo algorithm tell us what the result's going to be? <laughs> You know, maybe I'll give you a personal tip on that one, um, and and I'll kind of chalk it up to I have a lot of friends that are that are working and living in London, so I'll personally be pulling for for England to win. 
<laughs> yes, well, after the bitterness of the Matildas' uh, defeat in the semi-final by England, it's hard to know how Australia's going to fall in terms of backing England, but I'm sure all will be revealed. And it's been great <laughs> speaking with you uh, on Sunday Extra about your deep dive into the Women's World Cup. Thanks very much, Brendan McKenna. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. And Brendan is Vice President and International Economist for Wells Fargo's Corporate and Investment Bank. And their report is called Breaking Down the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.